The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so welcome to class four of the hindrance class. As I mentioned briefly, Portonia is still really sick, so she's not here this evening. For those of you who were here last week, we talked about um, the hindrances of sloth and torpor plus restlessness. So this idea of the of our energy feeling really low and just not having the capacity to be with what's happening or to be with um, our experiences, falling asleep, or the hindrance of restlessness where there's this feeling jittery and can't sit still and or the mind kind of bouncing around um, so uh, both of these sloth and torpor and restlessness and worry both of these two hindrances have um, aspects we can feel both in the body and in the mind and then we sent um you off with uh, some homework with this idea to deliberately practice with maybe lots of energy, less energy, and then a moderate amount of energy and see how that affects you. So would anybody like to comment either on the homework or just in general about practicing with the hindrances, practicing with sloth and torpor, practicing with restlessness, or practicing with this tool that we're using, R-A-F-T. Recognize, allow, feel, tease apart. I'd love to hear like how this past week went, or even if you didn't practice, some ideas you have or questions you have, or yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, I didn't do the homework, <laughs> but. Um, I, I have been practicing a lot with, I, I don't like to use the word ill will because I don't really think that's what it is, but kind of like aversion and resentment and stuff like that. So um, what I kind of, and I've been practicing just letting things be and not add too much to them and give them too much credence. So out of that, I really, especially because someone did something that really made me mad. It really, really, really made me mad. And so... I um, I just had to sit with it, but a, a lot came out of that. A lot of understanding about how I don't think what happened was somebody else's ill will towards me. It was everybody just trying to do the best they can, and you know, gets messy. Yeah. That was the first thing, and then the second thing is um, the understanding that kind of those judgments and that ill will seems to to me to be like a cover-up for not wanting to feel like those really kind of uncomfortable underlying emotions that are there and kind of the um i think in this case there was a lot of fear so it was fear and sometimes i think it's shame like when i notice those big judgments come up it's a covering up for me feeling like maybe a little bit of shame or something, and then it's really easy for me to do that. So it was kind of nice to see that, because now when I have the big judgments, sometimes I think, is that a judgment, or do I need to look a little bit deeper and see what else might be going on with me and attend to that? Because that's the healthier way to do it. Yeah. 
Thank you, Kristen. That's really fantastic. That's really great. And that you found a way forward, as opposed to just getting stuck in this uh, feeling of ill will. Ill will and uh, sensual desire are the topics for tonight. So um, you've already kind of already planted some beautiful seeds there. So uh, thank you. But also maybe the power of just, it's not easy, but to just stay with our experience and how it can be fruitful. We can learn things and and things can shift in our understanding or something. Thank you. I love the raft. Um, I, and as just as tools to work with. Um, not today for me, uh, I used it not during meditation, but when a situation came up where my blood pressure raised up and that type of thing, and I'm like recognizing it, oh, I'm at work, and you know, how can how can I you know, like say to it, not now, like let me get through what I need to at work and try to stay focused so that then I can give it some time and then it would, would bounce in and out of that as I would kind of take a look at it and recognize it in different ways and and try to kind of like bring everything down to a moderate level so i really Mm. appreciate that technique Mm. and is this different than what you would have done like uh, uh, otherwise or you're just more being aware all day long on it for sure Yeah. Yeah, yeah it would have i would have you know built to a big crescendo and you know just been crazy by the end of the day I'm sure (laughs) yeah we can do that right where we can get something and then just spin around and get stuck there fantastic so it's also maybe this using sounds like primarily kind of recognition maybe and some allowing in the sense like okay it's there but I'm not gonna have it be the primary thing in my experience is that right or well I think more of it is just an awareness like oh oh what is this you know and what part of this situation that came up is what is it what's catching me on it and um i can't really do anything about it right now unless i wanted to fly off the handle which would have was not possible and you know it could have derailed my you know there's all kinds of things that it could have done but by just like recognizing it being aware of it and then kind of like feeling like I'm feeling this in my body. This is affecting me. This is something that I don't really have any control over right now because I'm making some assumptions about what happened instead of knowing for sure. So, you know, it just... Nice. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. R-A-F-T turns out to be useful in all kinds of situations, not when we're on the cushion. Great. Anybody else have some comments, questions, something they'd like to share? Okay. So tonight's topic, as I mentioned, is a uh, working with the last two hindrances. I'm saying the last two in the way that Tony and I kind of designed this course. We thought um, we're not doing them in the classical order. So, and we're uh, leaving these two for the end. 
partly because um, we felt like everybody really has experience with this. Everybody has this experience of desire, and we can use this word aversion or ill will. But it's one thing that um, I want to flesh out here, this idea of desire. It's not like... um, they only become hindrances when they hinder, right? When they get in the way. So I don't want to say that like all desire is a problem, right? So that would be ridiculous to say that. But there are some, maybe I've heard some teachers that kind of you could interpret what they're saying to say that. Of course, we need desire in our life. We need to take care of ourselves, take care of our responsibilities. We have aspirations. You know, desire is a part of the human experience. But what I'm talking to talking about tonight is, um, in particular, um, a little bit of emphasis on sensory desire. That is, the desire for uh, sensory pleasures that that get in the way. It's that gets in the um, that prevents us, or it becomes an obstacle, or hinders our uh, meditation practice, or maybe any other habit that we are trying to develop, or having a regular sitting practice, for example. Maybe instead we're wanting to stay warm and cozy and not to get up in the morning. And knowing that when we sit, okay, we can sit with a shawl or a blanket, but it's just those moments going from the uh, wherever we are that's not warm and cozy to somewhere else, to the um, the cushion. I'm thinking like going from the bed to the cushion, right? Our kind of wish to always be comfortable all the time uh, gets in the way. Sometimes our pursuit of sensory pleasure gets in the way of seeing clearly of what's really happening. Maybe we're so focused on trying to um, remain comfortable that we kind of lose sight of the bigger picture of what's happening. And we are just feel like, okay, I'm uncomfortable. And we get focused on this object out there that's going to make us comfortable somehow. We get focused on something out there that's in the, as soon as I get it, everything's going to be okay. Meanwhile, not noticing the kind of agitation that we're experiencing, the constriction, the tightness that we're experiencing, that's extra. We could be, as much as best we can, we could be relaxing and opening up um, our bodily experience and our mental experience, but instead we just get really zeroed in on this object or this experience out there in the near future that's going to make us happy. So desire in itself is not inherently problematic. We have the desire to eat. When we have hunger signals, we have the desire to care for and protect our loved ones. We have desires for the world to be a better place. We have desire to show our affection to those people that are close to us. Again, right, these are natural, uh, supportive uh, parts of the human experience. But I want to make also a, uh, um, a distinction between sensory desire and pleasure. 
Sensory desire is more, um, maybe I should be using this word more about like craving. Maybe that kind of captures it. Craving has this sense of uh, strength and power behind it. This really powerful kind of like leaning forward. And so a big part of practice, meditation practice in particular, I would say Buddhist practice in general, a big part about this practice is about distinguishing between desire that's skillful, wholesome, helpful, supportive, and desire that is unskillful, unwholesome, unhelpful, not supportive. So how can we discriminate between these two, how can we discern what's helpful and what isn't helpful? Instead of throwing out every single desire as bond, can we, can we bring our sensitivity, our awareness, our toolkit, our meditation practice to help us make that discernment, to help us um, be able to discriminate So even if we figure out that there is skillful desire, I've mentioned a few of them to support others, often generosity, sometimes this comes out of a desire to show appreciation, maybe a desire to understand uh, some of the practices better, desire to have the mind be settled. These are all things that can be supportive. But even if the object of desire is supportive, it might be that the way that we act on it or the way that we pursue it might be unskillful. I mean, the obvious um, uh, example is when we have this, uh, of course, desires run in this and our pursuit of sensory pleasures or this huge spectrum. And of course, one end of the spectrum is this compulsion that then slides into addiction. And of course, that's not where freedom is. For anybody who's ever had an addiction knows this, right? There's very little freedom there. So we're trying to move towards where there's more and more freedom. And so a big part of what, what brings freedom is a certain amount of spaciousness. So even though we have a desire that may be skillful, can we work with it? Can we be with it? Can we express it in a way that expresses freedom, in a way that has some spaciousness and openness, as opposed to this, like, I have to get this thing because it's going to help me have more peace. But the way that we're pursuing it is unpeaceful. So of course it doesn't bring peace, even though it might be something that's wise to do. So our task with desire is to become really familiar with it. Not to push it away, not to pretend it's not there, but to become familiar with it. What does it feel like to have desire? What is it what does it feel like while we're sitting on the cushion? What does it feel like in daily life? What are the bodily sensations? What are the, like the quality of the mind? Um, is there a sense of ease that the mind has some flexibility? Or probably if there's a desire strong, there's not so much flexibility, right? There's this feeling of getting stuck. 
and wanting this thing. So, so this is one way to look at the, um, to practice with the hindrance of desire. There's a few ways we can do this. And one is to, is to look at the object carefully. I mean, really look at it. Often when we are, um, have a desire for something, it turns out we really more often have the desire for our idea about that thing. I have this idea that um, eating that second cookie is going to make me happy. I have this idea that driving really fast on the freeway is going to be exciting and make me happy. But if we really look at it, we see, well, it's just a cookie. It's flour and butter and M&Ms and... I often don't feel so great after I eat the second cookie and doesn't have a lot of nutritional value. Driving fast is dangerous to myself and to others. So one way to work with the, um, with desire is to really look at the object. Not our ideas about the object, but actually what, what is it, the felt sense of it, the tangible feeling of it. Are you seeing it accurately? What expectations do you have about this object? And in the past, when you've received, got, attained that object, was it satisfying? So that's one one way to work with um, objects of desire is to look at the object more closely. The second is to, as I mentioned briefly, is to really look at the experience of desiring. You can see there can be a lot of like leaning forward and a lot of tightening, and such that there doesn't have a sense of ease or spaciousness. This is how we can help discern whether a desire is skillful or unskillful, helpful or unhelpful, is the amount of tightness or ease that there is. Often like an aspiration, we could say maybe is a type of desire, but aspirations bring a sense of an uplift and openness and some spaciousness. Whereas something that's just a desire, often there's a little bit of a collapsing around the want. I'm doing this with my body because it often feels that way. There's this sense of shoulders go up and kind of collapse around the heart center that leaning forward, whereas an aspiration tends to be a little bit more uh, supportive, an upright feeling. So it's important to, when we're um, working with desire, to acknowledge any sense of spaciousness, ease, opening up, peace, freedom, well-being that arises when there's a little bit of waning of the desire, right? Everything's impermanent, so it is going to wane. It is going to fade away. It is going to go um, not to be as strong. And it can be enormously helpful to pay attention and notice, how does that feel? Now that the desire is a little bit less. This, of course, requires some mindfulness and that we're hanging out and paying attention to it. But it can be really helpful to just notice the experience of when the um, 
when the experience of desiring has lessened, it also highlights what the experience of desire feels like. So notice those transitions. That's another way in which we can practice with desire. And I said this also earlier, is to look at... I'm sorry. Um, yeah, it, there's often the temptation when we're in the midst of desire and we're trying to um, not... Um, give in to it or collapse around it to just feel like we have to strive harder. That's a little bit tricky because sometimes we can collapse around the striving and just that same desiring energy gets transmogrified into striving energy but it's still the same collapse not, uh, not spacious, not with a lot of freedom. So is there a way that you could maybe apply a little bit more effort, apply a little bit more energy to the meditation, for example, if that's what's uh, being hindered by the desire, or whatever it is that you're doing? Can you apply yourself a little bit more diligently without collapsing around it, without turning into striving? So those are some of the ways in which we can work with... uh, Unskillful desire. Yeah, so I'm. So, um, Kumi just asked me what do I mean by collapsing? So, we could think of it this way. There's two ways. One, I'm doing this with my body. So, there's kind of this uh, where the shoulders are rounding in and my head is like going towards my knees when I'm saying. So, that's kind of the physical experience of it. Of course, it would be more. Um, Maybe it would be very subtle. I'm doing this exaggerated. But also what I mean by collapsing is that um, there's different ways in which we can have awareness. So one is we can have, if this is the uh, what I'm desiring is this striker, we can have this feeling like, i got to have this striker and just really focus on the striker and look at it, the red, and it has these little round things near the bottom and this one here, and i got to have this, I've got to have this. So this kind of like this feeling, I'm just looking at it. This is kind of collapsing about as opposed to, here's a striker. And then when I'm looking at the striker, I can also see there are other things. There's light, there's people. I have this experience of holding it. It feels smooth in my hand, as opposed to like this thing. I gotta have it. Does that make sense? Yeah, by being taken over. Thank you. Yeah, it could be like that. Yeah, yeah. Are there any other comments or questions? Yeah, so um, maybe we can get you a, a microphone, Kumi. Look at the object uh, of desire. Are we seeing it accurately? Is it really going to fulfill our expectations? What happened the last time we ate the second cookie? 
So to look at the object more accurately. Uh, the third is um, acknowledge when there's a shift. Acknowledge uh, the, what that feeling feels like, whatever greater ease there is. And that also highlights what is the experience of desire itself. And that's the fourth one. Notice what is that experience of desire. Okay, so now I'm going to move on to aversion or ill will, which is right closely related. In some ways, it might even be the same. And that it's um, one way that it's related. It's we're it's also concerned with how and where our attention is directed. It's where attention is directed is to something out there, as opposed to doubt, thought and torpor, and restlessness is more in here, right, with the bodily experience. These are, oh, there's a focus out there. So, kind of one way we can define ill will or aversion is the desire to strike out in some kind of way. So it has a flavor of hostility, as a flavor of, I want to make this thing go away. Some um, emotional states that are associated with it are anger, resentment, holding a grudge, and just um, hatred, right? That's resistance. These are some of the ways in which it will or aversion shows up. So again, not all turning away, averting, aversion is unskillful. And again, part of our practice is to notice when is it skillful and when is it not skillful. One thing that we might notice is um, that aversion might have a little flavor of hostility, as I said, so maybe wanting to Maybe it's really subtle and quiet, but they're wanting to be a little bit of discomfort out there towards a person or towards an object somehow, or just they want to be like a lashing out. But we can also feel like how that experience is for ourselves. So how does it feel to be filled with ill will? How does it feel to be filled with aversion? Well, notice that it feels contracted, constricted. Again, this, uh, Maki uses this word collapse, but uh, there is not a sense of freedom, but instead there's this sense of being really stuck on whatever this object is that we have ill will or aversion towards. And when um, ill will or aversion is affecting us, it affects our... uh, lens, our perception, our frame of reference. And so much of what we're experiencing is kind of like seen through the lens of irritation. Like, like everything's kind of like it irritates us a little bit. So however uncomfortable, however painful, however our experiences don't match our preferences and we wish that they would be otherwise we wish that they would go away 
they're just painful experiences. They're just uncomfortable experiences. We don't have to have aversion to them. This might be a radical idea. We don't have to hate things that are uncomfortable. A big part of meditation practice is increasing our capacity so that we can be with things that are uncomfortable. And again, with these, we can, uh, it's only through understanding them actually that we can shift our relationship to uh, ill will and aversion and being uncomfortable. When it, when it arises, when we have ill will or aversion, we don't have to have additional aversion. We don't have to hate the hatred, have ill will towards the ill will. We can just recognize this is part of the human experience. Everybody has this experience. We don't have to take them personally. We don't have to take them as a sign that somehow we're not good Buddhists, we're not good practitioners, we're not good spiritual people, we're not good people. These arise. It's part of everybody's experience. And then to help work with it can be, can we understand them better? Can we see how it feels in the body? feels in the mind as best we can can we meet these with compassion as best we can can we meet them with a certain amount of courage often it's uh, uncomfortable to look at our ill will because we don't want to have ill will we don't want to imagine ourselves as people who have ill will So it can be really uncomfortable to look at it. And to help um, support our softening, letting go, lessening our will, it can be useful to consider what purpose does this ill will have for us? What, uh, was there a reason why this is here? Maybe we have a sense of protecting ourselves when it's there. Maybe it gives us a sense of vitality. Maybe it supports an identity. I'm the person who doesn't like X. It's kind of surprising how much actually there can be some identity around that. So the ways to work with this are just like with sensual desire to notice the experience of aversion, how does it feel like? To examine some of our underlying beliefs that might be supporting it, or why it, uh, what, um, what purpose it serves. And we might um, consider applying an antidote if um, that feels available to us. It's not always available. The antidote, of course, would be loving-kindness. But importantly, it's not loving-kindness toward that thing through which we have ill-will. That's asking a lot for us to do this 180 switch, right, from ill-will to loving-kindness. But instead to do loving-kindness for wherever it's easy, wherever it's simple for us, 
And that can like it bring a different flavor into the mind and maybe loosen up some of this ill will. Are there any questions or comments about ill will? Diana? Yes. Um, I want to eat late at night, and I know it's not good for me. Is that way? Oh, well. How, how does that experience feel to you? Well, it, it feels good. I feel hungry, so I eat, but I know it's not good. Yeah, so maybe that's a little bit more sensory desire. And if you really feel hungry, I don't know if this is... Uh, it's you're just um I see. So you're doing you're doing habit. Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah. I would say ill will is a little bit more like hostility, um pushing against, like, oh, go away, I don't want this that kind of thing. So it's a sensory uh desire is is more I should work with um to look at it and to feel it and Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Too. And and to just, I think maybe what you're talking about there is um, one of the things that I said for a sensory desire is to look at the object more clearly, including like, okay, is this really going to satisfy me? Is this really going to um, do what I think it's going to do? And that's an opportunity to remind yourself like, okay, this may uh, make my hunger abate, but then I'm going to feel worse later. So that's part of one way to work with desire is to uh, bring to mind what we know about that object and what we know about what happens when we obtain, get something that uh, object. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, once you start getting away from the present moment your life becomes a library so you want to have good memories that you can stay in the past you want to start building new illusions so you can have them as memories in the, in the past again so uh, of course in this library you don't want bad ones Yeah, that's nice. Thank you, this library. We don't. That's right. And it's uh, interesting how we kind of have this... Often, uh, when we are desire something, somehow the bad experiences with the objects we tend not to bring to mind, right? We just kind of focus on, like, okay, I'm sure this will be good this time. Somehow we have this kind of unbalanced view of things. We're going to put it in there. Yeah, thank you. Okay, are there any other comments? Or before I send us off onto our guided meditation? Okay, if you'd like, you can like stand up for just uh, a second to uh, make it easier to sit back down.
Okay, so we'll take an alert, upright posture. A posture that reflects your intention to be alert during this time, as well as relaxation. And we can start with three long, slow, deep breaths. As a way to help us settle in. breath to return to normal. We can just rest our awareness on the sensations of breathing. Wherever that feels available, accessible, perhaps where it's the most vivid, or most supportive. That might be the movement of the belly, the movement of the chest, or maybe the feeling of air going in and out of the nose. We're just hanging out there and noticing. Nothing in particular needs to be happening. We're just noticing the sensations of breathing. so much thinking about the breath as feeling it from the inside. Noticing the sensations associated with an inhale. How does that feel? What about an exhale? How does that feel?
If you find yourself lost in thought, it doesn't have to be a problem. Just very simply, gently begin again. Now for the purpose of this meditation, you can bring to mind one of the little things you tend to want. Not maybe the biggest, strongest desire, but a small thing. It might be to eat something delicious. Maybe purchase something online. Spending more time on social media or whatever it might be. See if you can just take your time to be Simply be present and aware of this desire. Just recognize, oh, this is what desire feels like. This is the experience of desire. It might be You might be desiring something right now, or this might be a memory. Both is fine. Either is fine. Now, take a careful look at this object you desire. Is it? everything you think it will be? Are you seeing it accurately? What are all the different or many of the different aspects of this object of desire? The desirable aspects and the maybe less desirable aspects. Can you bring to mind what happened the last time you achieved, obtained, attained, got, satisfied this desire? Was it as satisfying 
as you hoped it would be. So when we're exploring this experience of desire, helpful to neither inhibit this or give in to it. We're just going to allow it to be there and explore, investigate. You might want to like spread the attention throughout the body. How does having this desire feel in the body? What impact does this have on the body? might use general terms, there's tightness or looseness. might use specific terms, there's a, my chin goes up a little bit. And then can you notice if there are reactions to this desire Is there a very subtle, perhaps flickering, oh, I shouldn't have this desire? Or maybe there's a little, oh, this feels good to have this desire. Can you notice the reactions, like the second beat that happens after the desire? It might be a gentle inquiry if there's anything underneath the desire that's fueling it. Again, this is just a gentle inquiry, not a complicated project. You can always come back to the sensations of breathing if this feels too complicated or unhelpful. Of course, we can do the same practice with ill will or aversion. Is there a little bit of ill will, either at this moment or perhaps with a memory? Can you recognize and somehow allow it to be there. And then feel how this feels in the body. How does ill will feel? Maybe there's a lump in the throat, there's heat in the face, 
tightness in the belly. Or maybe it's more vague, something like just constriction. We all have our own ways. And can you also notice the reaction to the aversion? Is there aversion to the aversion? Can you tease apart the actual experience of aversion from the subsequent mental events? Again, you can always come back to the sensations of breathing. So maybe you explore this experience of desire and ill will. And then to end this meditation, you can feel the pressure of the chair, the cushion against your body. Feel your feet on the ground. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. I'm sure all of you recognize this R-A-F-T. Recognize the hindrance. Allow it to be there so that we can get to know it. F is feel it in the body. What are the physical sensations associated with it? And T, can we tease apart the actual experience from the subsequent mental... um, I'm using this word mental events. What other thoughts we have? Like, do we have aversion to aversion? Because often we can get caught in something like this. So now I'd like to hear from you guys. How was that? Is there any questions or comments?
Um, one of my frequent desires is for praise from other people um, and uh, like other people to think well of me and that kind of thing. And um, I'm not sure how exactly that fits into your analogy of like the second cookie or whatever, because it seems <laughs> almost like whenever I get praise, it's wonderful. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, there isn't any downside of it. Maybe there, uh, the downside is like st- striving for praise or wanting praise and not getting it and, uh, and how that uh, makes me feel. Um, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah. So do you have a sense of this wanting to get praise? Does it get in the way? Does it get in the way of anything? Yes, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what would kind of like is would to explore that. In what ways does it get in the way? Maybe in some ways it su- is supportive and is skillful, and maybe in some other situations it isn't. And maybe I'll say also, right, this... Um, the wish for praise is part of just the human experience too, right? And we would say that uh, maybe even uh, evolutionary, it supports us to want to do this, right? To have high status, this is part of a natural thing. So it's just a way to find out where does it really get in the way as opposed to thinking that we have to get rid of it all the time or something. Thank you. Just been noticing a lot of um, aversion. I want to call it in, instead of ill will, because I feel like I'm always like this, walking around like this. I don't know. This is not good. And then all of my time is um, spent in gathering evidence why this is not good, why they're wrong, why they're, you know, it's just, I feel like my whole life is just doing that. Mm. Um, And now that I notice it, I feel it letting go a little bit. Mm. Can you have compassion for yourself about this? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. I have aversion yeah. to myself too, before for having aversion to everyone else and everything else. Yeah, yeah. This is this is like maybe we could just feel like wow, this is it's uh, like really uncomfortable. You can this might be a little bit of a, some uh, dukkha there too, some uh, suffering, and so. One thing is to just one is to notice that this, uh, this, as you said, just noticing the fact that you have this orientation. You're not alone in this, of course, too. Right? This is not uncommon at all for people to have this. Uh, this isn't right. That's not right. And wait, this should be different. And it's either in subtle ways or in really big ways, something like this. And um, one is. I think uh, maybe we've talked about this as practicing a little bit of loving kindness, right? Which isn't always available, but to find a way in which there can be um, something that's uplifting. So 
maybe a loving-kindness practice, or maybe orienting towards some beauty in a way that like, supports some relaxation or some openness. So it has nothing to do with that situation. It's just loving-kindness yeah. towards Yeah, because sometimes... Something else. Right, because at that moment, it's I, from, I think it's asking a lot to try to have this very huge different, like, oh, let's look at the beautiful and let's start loving it. That's not, I mean, that's, if you could do that, you wouldn't be taking this class. You would already have <laughs> figured it all out, right? So um, instead we can, like, uh, prime the mind to look at things a little bit differently or to have a little bit more um, flexibility or to have a to a little bit more uh, spaciousness in it. And the sense of, if we are having some experiences that are not ill will, just to first create some experiences that don't have that. It can be loving kindness or beauty or whatever it might be. And then really experience them. How does that feel? Like, how does it feel in the mind? How does it feel in the body? As best you can. And then the more that we have, um, we become familiar with the absence of ill will, the little bit easier it is to get into that uh, mind state. So that's one thing to do. In addition, sometimes this recognize, allow, feel, and tease apart works. But sometimes we may need uh, some antidotes or some of these other practices too. Is, Is this helpful? Yeah, it is really helpful. But you also said that you can look at what's causing it, either yeah. ill will or your um, or your desire. Yeah. I don't know. Am I just defected? I don't know. Defective. You are not defective. <laughs> just defective. You are not defective. So what can be underneath it? Often like fear is underneath. Like this, not, I don't feel safe somehow. So, so there's a little bit of anger that I, you know, these things aren't helping me feel safe or I'm just making this up, right? I don't know what it is for you. Um, it can also be habit, right? In terms of like we, our family life when we were growing up or a greater community kind of had this, also had this uh uh, orientation, this frame of reference. And so we just felt like, oh, well, this is what we do. So we learned it earlier in our life, and we've been doing this. Um, let's see, I think I had some notes here about some things that are underlying. Some of it, um, I said also, there can be a sense of vitality. Some people have like, yeah, this is wrong, and it really should be different. And we talk to this person, and we talk to that person, and then we talk, oh, I don't know, and it just makes us feel like alive, right? So, and um, mixed up with that also is identity. Like when there's a sense of aversion, there's a sense of I'm here, and those people or those objects are there. And this real distinction between here and there, us and them, me and you. Kind of, uh, some people feel better with that. So that also can be um, underlying it. Maybe I'll let those are some ones. Okay, so let's uh, ex- explore this, uh, both uh, sensual desire and ill will. We can explore a little bit more in some um, small group discussions. So if you want to get into groups of 
three. Um, and then I'll give you some questions. So here's the first question. (laughs) Okay, the first question is, what role does the pursuit of sensory pleasure have in your life? Does it have a big role, a small role? Does it um, influence almost everything that you do? Or is it, are you like always trying to have the best food, the softest uh, Clothing or the softest something, or like, is it a what? What what kind of role does this have in your life? And how about the person that's sitting closest to me goes first? Put this in here. Go. Um, And then, of course, uh, the second question will be: What role does ill will have in your? Life, what is it? Um, what is what? Um, how does it show up? Is it a predominant experience? Um, I, I don't. Whatever. It's. I'm kind of vague here to allow you to interpret it in a way that it feels helpful for you. So now we'll talk about ill will. And so for a third question, what meaningful or satisfying feelings do you have which are not connected to either sensory desire or ill will? What meaningful or satisfying feelings, experiences, do you have that are not connected to sensory desire or ill will? So now I'll add one question, uh, last question, when you're ready. So this, working with the hindrances, and we um, introduce this idea, R-A-F-T. Well, what is something from, if you've been to more than one class, or if you've just been to this class, what is something that's helpful, that you think here is going to be uh, supportive for you, and that you'd like to take away? And any week that you've been here in any teaching is a little bit wide open. So we talked about doubt, restlessness, sloth and torpor, sensory desire and ill will. And we talked about recognize, allow, feel, and tease apart in different ways, as in addition to some other um, specific ways to talk about these hindrances. Is there something that you will take away from this class that you think was helpful? Or supportive, or somehow worth your, worth thinking about or taking away? Partners. And we can 
come back to the larger circle. And maybe just uh, check in. How, how was that? Did you learn anything? Was it helpful? Would you like to share anything that happened in the small group? <laughs> That's very cute. <laughs> was it to talk about kind of the role of or even to inquire with yourself about the role of sensory desire or the role of ill will what was it like to think about if you've been to more than one class what was helpful here there's something in particular that uh, you might want to take with you are you looking for a microphone here's one Well, I didn't know I had uh, sensual desires, Um, food, and I didn't realize, or I realized that I was stuck uh, doing this raft. I realized that I was stuck in, uh, let's see, in just feeling bad about bad habit. I was stuck for so many years. And now I saw it as an object and I realized. And so now um, I will change my habit because I changed my mind. Oh, yeah. nice, nice. Thank you, Kumi. Anybody else have a comment or a question? Well, these things, you know, desire and ill will are really tough for me, and I was uh, just talking about how I think I'm just starting to get to the allow part uh, of of that, like recognizing them is something I've done for a while, but um, it's difficult for me to allow myself to to have you know these, for instance, feelings of ill will. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it's good to have this roadmap of like what comes after that, <laughs> and I, I don't think I'm I'm there yet or. or able to often feel um, these things or, or tease apart. Um, but uh, maybe I'll get there eventually. Yeah, yeah. This can be, you know, uh, or, right, of course it's not linear necessarily and doesn't work at uh, um, any particular pace and all these types of things. But I, I'm... Um, I'm appreciating that you're appreciating that it's nice to have some tools right, to, to work with and to think about. Thank you. In some of the visualizations that I try to go along with, like teasing, like observing it and teasing it apart, sometimes I've 
looked at it in the teasing apart like a ball of yarn that I might be able to get some of the threads apart but I also don't have to solve the whole puzzle nice at once yeah I love it that's right and sometimes we pull one thread and lots of other threads come out too but uh, sometimes we pull threads and they're still a little bit tangled but they're a little bit less tangled too yeah great thank you I think maybe this is an important thing. Maybe I should have been emphasizing that more. Is that it's very easy. This is a common um, human thing that we do. So we tend to kind of want to make it binary. I'm either allowing or not allowing. I'm either feeling or not a feeling. I'm either teasing apart or not teasing apart. Instead, all of these are happening on a spectrum. So maybe there's a little bit of feeling, a little bit of teasing apart, a little bit of allowing, a little bit of recognizing. And you were kind of talking about the thread there points to that. Thank you. Okay, so it's about nine o'clock now. So I want to thank you all for your attention and your sincerity and practice. It's a beautiful thing to kind of have some people together that we're all trying to find our way. So it's a wonderful thing to practice together. So I wish you all a wonderful evening and thank you.